Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the Sunday, September 6th episode of Poets and Muses, where we chat with poets about their inspirations. I'm your host, Imogen A-Rate. You can follow us at poetsandmuses.com, as well as on Instagram and Twitter under Poets and Muses. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter, either at poetsandmuses.com or at the upper right-hand side of the Poets and Muses SoundCloud page. Now, in addition to the poetsandmuses.com website and SoundCloud page, you can also listen to Poets and Muses wherever you listen to podcasts. With us today is El David, with whom I will be discussing his poem, Borican, and my poem, The Corner Victorian. Before we do that, however, I'm going to go over some virtual poetry events taking place during the week of September 7th. On Monday, September 7th, from 4 p.m. Eastern Time, Nguyen TV will be hosting the 18th episode of its 20-episode series, The Nguyen Wind Carriers Challenge, where anyone can participate, but only Canadian Indigenous youths between 8 and 25 are eligible for the prices, which includes a grand prize of a MacBook Pro. You can find out more information by going to facebook.com forward slash events forward slash 644-547-309-458-680. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash events forward slash 644-547-309-458-680. From 8 p.m. Central Time, Frizzy Productions will be hosting their Poets Playground open mic via Instagram live at poets underscore playground. Again, that's poets underscore playground. On Tuesday, September 8th, from 3 to 5 p.m. Eastern Time, Urban Word NYC will be hosting their first draft open mic for those between the ages of 13 and 23. It's a virtual writing workshop and open mic series facilitated by Roya Marsh. You can find out more information and register at urbanwordnyc.org forward slash first draft. Again, that's urbanwordnyc.org forward slash first draft. From 5 to 5.30 p.m., Arizona Masters of Poetry will be hosting their Speak Poet via Instagram Live at Arizona Masters of Poetry. Again, that's at Arizona Masters of Poetry. On Wednesday, September 9th, applications are due for Cave Canem's free workshop for New York City-based poets of color. There are two workshops. One of them is called Ekphrases and the Body, taught by Amatara James, which will take place from October 7th to December 16th. On Wednesdays between 6 and 9 p.m., the other workshop is called Dream, Memory, and Ecstasy, taught by Leyden Osman, and that's between October 5th and December 14th, which will be Mondays from 6 to 9 p.m. These workshops are free for New York City-based poets of color, and you need to send in your applications by Wednesday, the 9th of September. You can find out more information and apply at cavecanumpoets.org forward slash workshops. Again, that's cavecanumpoets.org forward slash workshops. Cavecanum is spelled C-A-V-E 
C-A-N-E-M. Again, that's C-A-V-E-C-A-N-E-M. From 8.30 p.m. Beirut time, Sidewalk Beirut will be hosting their online open mic. You can find out more information on Instagram at Sidewalk underscore Beirut. Again, that's Sidewalk underscore Beirut. Beirut is spelled B-E-I-R-U-T. Again, that's B-E-I-R-U-T. From 3 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time, Nuijinan TV will be hosting Nuijinan's Got Talent, which showcases indigenous youth between 13 and 25. This will be on Instagram Live. You can participate by RSVPing at Nuijinan TV. That's N-W-E-J-I-N-A-N TV. Again, that's N-W-E-J-I-N-A-N-T-V. Starting at 7.15 p.m. Central Time, Luya Poetry will be hosting their open mic with a theme of yearning. You can find out more information and RSVP on Instagram at Luya Poetry. Again, that's at Luya Poetry. Luya is spelled L-U-Y-A. From 8 p.m. Eastern Time, a poet named Superman will be hosting his release therapy open mic via Instagram Live at a poet named Superman. Again, that's a poet named Superman. On Thursday, September 10th from 6.30 to 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time, the Tiny Cover will be hosting their weekly virtual poetry night. And you can find out more information and register at thetinycover.com forward slash events. Again, that's thetinycover.com forward slash events. From 7 p.m. Eastern Time, Books Are Magic will be hosting its Red Ink Unraveling discussion with Vanessa Velsoka, Meredith Taluzan, Raven Leilani, Natalie Diaz, Elisa Gabbert, and moderated by Michelle Philgate. You can find out more information and register for that at facebook.com forward slash events forward slash 645-348-002-775-888. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash events forward slash 645-348-002-775-888. Eight eight eight. From 7 to 8 p.m. Arizona time, Phonetic Spit will be hosting their weekly open mic via Instagram Live at Phonetic Spit. That's P-H-O-N-E-T-I-C-S-P-I-T. Again, that's P-H-O-N-E-T-I-C-S-P-I-T. On Friday, September 11th, from 9.30 p.m. Eastern time, Marquise 10,000 Burton will be hosting his live poetry freestyling via Instagram Live at 10,000 Poetry. Again, that's at 10,000 Poetry with 10,000 spelled out. On Saturday, September 12th, from 5 to 5.30 p.m., Arizona Masters of Poetry will be hosting their Speak Poet Saturday via Instagram Live at Arizona Masters of Poetry. From 6 to 7.30 p.m. Arizona time, Creative Youth of Arizona, Reframe Youth Arts, and the Virginia G. Piper Writing Center will be hosting the 2020-2021 Phoenix Youth Poet Laureate Ceremony, featuring, among others, our past poet guests, Sean Avery and Hunter Hazelton.
You can find out more information by visiting at Creative Youth of Arizona. Again, that's at Creative Youth of Arizona on Instagram. And now let us welcome our poet guest of the week, El David. Hi, El David. Thank you very much for coming on to Poets and Muses. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, me too. Appreciate you coming on. You brought with you today your poem, Borican. Before we get into yes. that, I would love for you to tell us a little bit about yourself. I'm an author, poet, writer. I've been in a few anthologies, and I have um, recently put out a few books of my own collection about all three doing well. Okay. And the last two have been very um, biographical. Mm-hmm. And the last one, which is with this piece that I'm reading today, comes from is called the book Growing Up Rican, which talks about growing up as a New York and uh, Puerto Rican man from New York. Mm. Most, a lot about my family, my mother, and my friends. Mm-hmm. And I'm also a musician. I'm the director of a band called Machete Movement um, mm-hmm. in New York. It's a world music band, mm-hmm. mostly rooted in African and, and indigenous island rhythms. Mm-hmm. And I'm also a visual artist, so I also paint mostly um, African art. Okay. Wow. Wonderful. Very multi-talented. Can you tell us how, given all of these choices you have for for outlets for your creativity, when did you come to write poetry? I started writing, believe it or not, in the third grade because I was blessed to have a teacher that was into poetry and she decided to teach us different forms at that young age. Mm -hmm. And I was actually attracted to the teacher, <laughs> but I wrote a love poem for her, and, and she liked it, so I just kept writing after that. Mm-hmm. And then, um, when I really got into it, it was actually from um, an album I picked up by uh, Buck Delic. Mm-hmm. It was the George, George Clinton song, where he did some spoken word over it, mm-hmm. and that just lit a fire under me. I was just hooked into that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that was when I first started that book. Early 80s and 90s, I was doing a lot of activism poetry. When it was like a police brutality rally or anything like that, I was one of like the very few people that would be there to recite poems that were um, significant to that time and, and whatever the incident was. Mm-hmm. And the New York was one of the big spots in New York, and actually it's world famous tonight. Yeah. And a couple of features there. Yeah. You know, there is where it took off. Yeah, that's wonderful. I am very regretful that I did not know about the New Rican Cafe while I was living in New York. It's such a shame because I think I would have really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's a magical <laughs> place. You feel, yeah. feel the energy of the past poets that were there. Right, right. Wow. The poems that you sent me, the packet, are they all in this third book, the autobiographical book that you talked about? Yeah, they're all in there. Okay. I, I decided to choose for that book because um, it was the most special one that I've written thus far. So Right. Yeah. Where can people find this book? They're all on Amazon. When this book, last one came out, the pandemic hit, and so there was no me going out and pushing it um, to anybody personally or bookstores. So right. um, they can get all three of them on, on Amazon. Great. So, yeah. Great. Yeah, it's kind of, uh, you know, we have to be grateful for the fact that we have these different 
places now that where we could still do online shopping without you know risking our safety by going out <laughs> and, and still get to enjoy new books that come out so it's great that it's available yeah if you don't mind I, I would love for you to read the poem for us and then we can get into talking about it She is constantly in the eye of storms, has stared extinction in the face. Her daughter's wombs forced sterile, her sons forced to fight and die on front lines for the freedom of an alien nation without a voice in naming the commander who ships them off to war. She is beautiful but battered. Something about her is magic, allows her to rise back up after knockdowns and tighten tyranny. It is clear the petitioned African and Taino spirits remain vigilant, breathing life back into her lungs and fire into her heart after tempest winds tear into her flesh. She cries, seeds that birth steely pride. She is too deeply rooted to perish. She is something magical. She is Borinquen. Thank you. I love the pride that this poem shows in your roots. I wonder if you can tell us a little bit about your background, the, that particular part of your background. The fact that you mentioned pride is important. Because pride has become to some so many people like an ugly word. Mm. And my faith, uh, which is an African-based faith called Ifa, pride is, is a good thing. Mm-hmm. And the faith itself is based on elevating yourself. Mm-hmm. That you can't be anything to anyone until you feel good about yourself and love yourself and, and do for yourself. Mm. And then my, like my, my father's part in Nigeria, but my mother's part. Uh, Puerto Rican, you're Puerto Rican, mm-hmm. and they have a ridiculous pride also. Mm-hmm. So, like, um, if you ever travel to a place where there are both Puerto Ricans, you'll see flags everywhere and flags on their shirts, on their cars, on their windows. They're like a very proud people. Right. So, um, between those two things, I have to, especially for my son and my son to be, to come, <laughs> I have to show them to be. Because this world knocks people of color down so much mm. that they are they are special and that they are great. Yeah. And um, I try to do that in my works. And even even when I have a work that is pretty like it's expressing my sadness and my pain, I try to end it in a way where I'm triumphant in the end. Right. Right. I think it's very important, especially if you're on the receiving end of violence or discrimination solely based on the color of your skin or your ethnicity. It's very important to be able to show that resilience and fight for your right to exist and to live well in this world. And yes, absolutely. Yeah, and, and that also show in your poem because there is a parallel between what you told me about your background and what Puerto Rico has been going through, especially over the last few years. Not just, you know, the natural disasters that it's had to face, 
but also the consequences of having someone who obviously does not really care about the people. <laughs> so, uh, clearly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and, and Puerto Rico's been going through a lot for, for many years, for over 300 years, for over 500 years. Mm. It's actually the second to last piece of, of land in the Americas to have abolished slavery, you know, oh. and they're still not, they're still not full citizens down there, so they can be drafted into war, but they are not allowed to vote, so it's, it's still a colony, Yeah, I... which is uh, a sad thing, for me, it's, it's bad, but imagine, I have two things, I have African blood, I have Taino, which is like indigenous Puerto Rican blood, Mm-hmm. But my skin is not dark. I'm not, 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 it is, but it's not black. Mm-hmm. So now imagine what a black person has to go through. And then he's not a woman. So now imagine what a black woman goes through. Right. And imagine a black woman from Puerto Rico. And, you know, it just keeps going. Now imagine a black woman who is gay or bisexual. And it's just like I have it. Mm-hmm. If I have it bad, I don't have it as bad as, as most people. Right, right. So my poetry used to be very activism based on these things. And I, for a long time, got people telling me to ease up and calm and be, you know, try to lighten up. And <laughs> I just can't do that always, you know, because it, right. this is, to me, what poetry is. It's, it's the rhythm of imagination that we that we bring to, to ease these problems, like to get them out. I always say what's on its way up is on its way out, and if we don't let it out, that just blows up inside of us. Yeah, yeah. I think it's really important because in my discussions with other poets, some people wonder about the role of poets, and I think, again, it's just how you feel that you should manifest your poetry whether or not you um, are more interested in writing, you know, activist poetry or writing things about nature, whatever you feel drives your poetry is what makes your voice very authentic. So I think for people who are not in this headspace as you are, they may not relate to it as strongly as you are, obviously. I think the poetry world is as big as we make it, right? It's, uh, we don't have to occupy the same space. So it's, it's nice to see um, poetry that comes from a particular passion, whatever that passion may be. And it certainly comes through in this particular piece of poetry. So speaking of uh, protest poetry, I was just wondering, do you find that, um, I don't know what your path has been before you decided to self-publish, when you did submit, if you did submit to established publications, is that some of the feedback that you got in terms of your protest poetry? No, actually, I really never got any bad feedback. Oh, um, that's good. I, I've been into anthologies. I've been in what called, you know, Alba with Accento, mm-hmm. which was an anthology which contained poems from New York poets and and the diaspora. Okay. And that was also in one by Bruce George, who was the founder of Death Poetry Jam. That was called the Bandana Republic. I don't want people to get confused. I don't only do act as a poem, but 
it was a it was a long time that I I always do it like this going to break it probably it's probably anything in there that's very um, activism based but I mean it is like like you were able to to find it there <laughs> that was like and I was uh, I'm very impressed by you finding that because that was like you know, in the haystack you know, this place. Mm. So that and that's what I want people to see in poems like this. I, I haven't submitted too, too much for anthologies because I, I a long time ago there was an old African proverb that said, uh, "Teach a man to fish," and I mean, teach a man to to what was it? Something like that. Uh, give, give a man a fish. Teach a man to fish and for a lifetime. Now, now yeah. you can uh, give him a fish and he'll eat it, but if you teach him. He can eat for a lifetime. He'll be able to know how to do it. And, and I've always been that way. I've always been able to try to do something out of nothing and not wait for opportunities but create my own. Right. I actually got turned on to self-publishing by other self-published books because I, being a visual artist, I even like the errors <laughs> that I see. In mm. book, I know it's eccentric, but it's the uh, artist in me that likes the way the artist wrote the book, maybe without an editor. The way they just decided to place the, the, the words on the on the paper. You know? mm. Wouldn't it be great to to, to get a, a major publishing deal? Sure. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I I think that's the. I think when people think about the traditional versus the the self-publishing route, one of the things that they have to think about, they have to weigh, is the having the structure that's already in place in terms of marketing, in terms of platform, right? The reach, or doing it yourself. And I think for certain people, it works because they have already have the built-in talent of being able to, or they have the network already to. Distribute to the audience they want to distribute, whereas because of the history of the publishing world, they might not actually have the right audience for the for the author. So it's always interesting to think about. But going back to your particular poem, I think what the official term is that the Puerto Rican is a protectorate. Is it a protectorate under the U.S. something something like that? I was always interested when you guys were voting to see whether or not you want to become a state, right? And I, I wonder, I don't know how connected you are to Puerto Rico, being a New York, New Yorkan of Puerto Rican descent. So, do you know how people are feeling about one way or the other of becoming a state? Here's the thing about that, and, and even when the votes are close, there's one thing that people don't take into account is that the independistas, the ones that want to be an independent country, refuse to vote and to participate in votes mm-hmm. because they feel that they should not place a vote that is put together by another country, a sovereign country. Mm-hmm. When that defeats the purpose of them being more than autonomous, being their own country. So right. those people do not vote. So the majority of people on the island do want to have their own uh, independence. They do not want to be a commonwealth. They do not want to be, let's call it what it is, a colony. Mm, right, right. So we don't see that here because every, I think it's three or six years, I'm not sure, but they, they take this vote and the votes are, they're only cast by people who, who uh, are not part of that independence movement. Right, right. Yeah, that's really good to know. 
I'm not sure. I think maybe in the last vote, there was a little bit of coverage on this in the pandistas, but I wasn't paying that close uh, attention to, I have to say. But it's really, really a good point to, to note that it, they're actually not counted. So it's hard to see the entire dynamics of the entire country just by looking at the vote results themselves. So, exactly. It's like the census here. Not everybody completes the census. Right. Or, or the polls, voting polls here. When you have 45 saying everybody loves me because this poll said so, I I mean say nobody asked me (laughs) so it's like you don't get everybody's voice in any poll yeah yeah I, I think I think you always have to when you look at polls and statistics you always have to look at the sampling where they're getting their sampling from and what the sampling looks right. like so yeah that's that's really interesting thank you for telling us that going back to your poem i know a little bit about puerto rico and and what's going on in terms of uh, the rights that we just talked about but when you talked about her daughter's wombs for darrow can you tell us a little bit about that yes there was a time Puerto Rico, when the United States government were going door-to-door to the people in the island and telling them that they had to, they were giving them these, these shots or whatever the service was, medical procedures for them, but what they were actually doing was sterilizing them. Mm-hmm. They were sterilizing them under a program, I believe, financed by the Rockefellers because they said the people in Puerto Rico are people too proud to, to allow to exist. And the, the, they, they wanted to um, stunt the growth of the people on the island. Mm. And um, yeah, so, so I believe 72% of the women were sterilized involuntarily. 72%? Yep. Wow. That's insane. Yeah. So it, it's, they've, been, they've been through a lot. And um, because it's a small island, mm. all, but that this country benefits off. You don't get to hear a lot about those things. Right, right. I mean, it's all over. Like, if you Google Puerto Rican women sterilized, you will get tons of articles and a lot of redacted documents. But, but, um, yeah, it's uh, something that actually happened. Yeah, yeah. The thing is, even here, on the mainland of U.S., there has been sterilization programs of what people in power have considered to be undesirable people in segments of the U.S. population. So I, I'm not too surprised with the percentage. It's crazy, incredibly, incredibly high. Um, so, but yeah, I am going to Google Google it afterwards. So I was really curious to find out. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's insane. And of course, again, you talk about this, the mixing of African descendants of African slaves, I presume, who were brought over and also the native indigenous Puerto Rican people who, again, I feel like, I mean, we don't we don't really talk about our own indigenous here in, in the U.S. soil. So when it goes to other countries like the Caribbean, we talk about that even less. So tell us a little bit, if you don't mind, about the Taino, the people and the heritage. Well, it, it's important, you know, because 
the fact is we're not taught that in the schools. We're not taught about our ancestry. And, and basically, I mean, not to sound like a racist, because I'm not, but we're not taught white history mm. or anything else. Mm. And it makes people of color put less value on their ancestry and on who they are. Mm. So the Taino people, I believe in 1993, they did a DNA test. Mm. to, um, I forgot the percentage of, but a, but a large percentage of the people on the island, and they all had DNA of the Taino blood, of the Taino indigenous people. Mm. Now, every social studies book in the United States, even in the dictionary, will say that the Arawak, the, the, or the nation of Arawaks, which the Taino come from, were extinct, that the Tainos were, were, were massacred by Columbus and his people, and, and yeah, he did take them and murder on that but they were not extinct. Mm. And there's actually a center in the center of the island as a tribe that exists there to, to this day. Mm. And I would say the majority of people of Puerto Rican descent do not realize that because of what they're taught in the United States, that their people are extinct. They feel like orphans. They feel like bastards. They don't have an ancestry. They have nothing to go back to. Mm. Same thing with the African roots. And mm -hmm. so what happened in Puerto Rico is when the slave trade was happening, the indigenous people of the island and the people uh, brought from, from West Africa, a lot of them bonded and became one people. Mm -hmm. And that's why in that same DNA study, we even have more African blood in us than we had Taino blood. Mm -hmm. So that, that was another thing that came out of that study. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah. I try to keep that alive, and especially, like I said before, not just for the people that exist now, because you know most people that are adults can't change what they feel or think. They just try, but you can at least let the future generation know their greatness. Right, right. It was last year, I think, I spoke with another Puerto Rican poet who discussed with me the problem of colorism. And she was saying that one of these popular saying is something like, ¿Y dónde está tu abuela? Right. Talking about... Yeah, yeah, exactly. And talking about yeah. basically having African roots. Right. That's actually a famous poem. I forgot the name of the poet offhand. Mm. But uh, it's, a, it's a poem called Ito Abuela Roneta. Oh. And it was a poem to the, so there's a lot of fairs who, who um, might claim that they don't have any, they might call themselves white, or they might say I'm not black. Mm -hmm. But just like that study show, like a huge percentage of, and that was higher than the 72% that I mentioned before, a, a large a large percent of us have African blood. So they, the poem goes in to say that you have like your grandmother's in the kitchen eating, meaning people that hide, I mean, metaphorically, right. they're saying you hide your grandmother in the kitchen because your grandmother is black. Mm -hmm. Because the majority of all of us have black grandmothers who come from the island. So that's a beautiful poem. And he wrote it in broke, uh, I don't like the word broken, but he wrote it in a Spanish that, see, if you listen to the way Puerto Ricans talk, mm -hmm. we soft, we harden our D's and our T's and our S's unlike any other. Latino country because the three islands, Puerto Rico, Santo Domingo, Haiti, and, and which is the same, and we all were infused with the dialect of Africa. Mm -hmm. So we have those accents on our verbiage. Right, right. Yeah, it's, re it's really interesting because I always felt like uh, 
Latin America has some of the most diverse heritages, even more so than America, it seems, you know, and it's interesting to note not only the extent of the slave trade, but also um, how that affects the heritage of the people now, and, and also how colorism continues to, to wreak havoc in, in the social fabric. So, so it's great to know a little bit more about it. So now I'm going to have two things to look up the <laughs> the sterilization and also the poem. I didn't I didn't realize it was a poem. I just thought it was a popular saying. So it's great to know. Thank you. Um, I know you wrote this as part of your third book, which is more um, autobiographical. But was there a particular reason why you wrote this poem? And when did you write it? This poem I wrote very shortly after Maria. Okay. When Hurricane Maria hit, it pretty much destroyed the island. Mm. A large portion of it. What people don't know is that the island was hit many times with hurricanes. Right. Not as bad as this one, but pretty close to it. Right. And it always rose back up. And I knew it. And, and my faith in that happiness already happened now mm. is what triggered me to write that poem. And I, and I felt in my heart that they would rise again. And right. that's how I, in that poem, I explain that. And I think that's what's great about our people is if you look at people from the island, from Africa, and I've always mentioned both because I, they are both part of who I am. Right. We've been through so much, and but, but we're a people that will not stay down. Right. right. And I always say, you know, you might not be responsible for getting knocked down, but you are responsible for getting back up. Yeah. And that's why there's another piece I have where I have Africa marrying what Puerto Rico had. Right. And that's exactly what happened. Two proud, resilient people mm. bonded and became something. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's great that you talk about that, you know, you basically opened the poem with her geographical location and how, how important it is to realize that. And again, this sense of pride and this sense of resilience just from the very beginning of the poem, kind of just this declarative of saying that, you know, we've been through this before, we will get out of it again. So it's really wonderful. Is there a reason why you decided to gender the country as she? Yeah, there is. I also do the same thing when I speak, when I mention God. Mm. I believe women are the mothers of the universe right? mm-hmm. in any sense. It's an energy as a mind. Our faith believes in uh, the energy all of Dumare, which is what created everything. If I mentioned that or anything, I would say she as well. Mm-hmm. So when I when I think of, of the I before going way back to Africa, that's mm-hmm. not the stop that, that came before me. So that's my mother. Mm. You know, and I feel like that is uh, not just the motherland, but that is the mother of all the people that, that came from that island. So my mother came from Puerto Rico, mm. right? But the island itself is a mother to me. Mm. Mm. Yeah. You mentioned the name of the religion, but you kind of cut off for a second. Can you say that again? Practice Ifa. Ifa. I-F-A. It's, um, okay. Okay. Yes. It's a mixed religion, right, you said? No, Ifad is an African religion, pure. Oh. It's not really, um, I hate to use the word religion, because um, the first thing that I was taught when I, when I started studying for this faith was to respect all 
Mm. It's actually the oldest space in the world right now. Oh, because wow. it's not one of the three main uh, religions, Christianity, Islam, and Judaism, mm. it's never counted. And the reason it's not counted is because um, we can say we're a religion without a roof, you know, we don't have any temples or houses, you know. Right. We call a, 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 a community a house. So we call it an ile, which means house. Mm-hmm. And every community that you belong to, whether it's under a roof or not, that's your house. Right, right. When they brought people over here as slaves to be slaves, mm. they didn't allow them to practice their faith. So what they did was they had to hide their religion behind Christianity. Right. So if they wanted to worship the energy of Chango, they would use uh, the Saint Barbara, mm. Santa Barbara. They would they would pretend they were praying to her. Mm. What happened was they started to merge the two, and, and a lot of you know these faiths started to believe in both. And right. because actually, like what our spiritual leaders are called, the Babalao, the first thing he told me when I came into this was to respect all religions. The more religions that you believe in, the more power you have. Mm. You know, he, because if you think about it, hate weighs you down, anger weighs you down. Anything that you try to, to attack is weighing you down, it's hurting you, it's making you less powerful. Mm. The best way to increase the power of self is to, to see the God in everyone instead of seeing the evil. Right, right, yeah. I think it'll also make people more relatable when you see the good in people rather than the bad. It's not always easy, right. but <laughs> we try. <laughs> it's not. It's not. I'm having a hard time doing that with this president. <laughs> yes. I my wife, I said, I don't think I've ever seen this before, but I think I might be there. <laughs> He is certainly a test. Certainly. <laughs> yes. Big test. <laughs> like, but we're passing and we're getting through. I hope so. I hope so because it's kind of scary <laughs> to think about the possibility of him coming back. <laughs> um, and if he does, well. Yeah, we'll we'll deal with it, right? We'll <laughs> we have to basically. <laughs> well, uh, the the reason that there's people like you is because of people like us, because we are so they know that we cannot be buried. You know, we just keep rising, we keep rising. We are the phoenix, and and that's been proven. And what do people do? They they when when someone is powerful, just like when they step around and when we go, is they try to stunt the growth. And it never happens for nobody to be able to be um, surviving what we've been through. Yet we are still here. Mm, mm, yeah, yeah. It's sort of a it's a coping me- mechanism as well, right? Because what else? What else are we going to do? I mean, are we are we going to lay down and die just because you know something horrible happens? <laughs> so. Right. So, you know, we, no matter what, we, we have this life and we have to live it. And I think we do the best we can with it, what, no matter how dire the situation is or becomes. One of the last things I wanted to ask you about, about your poem is also the name. Borican uh, is, I mean, it's, it sounds like a, 
a shortened version, uh, like a nickname almost. I don't, I don't know where that comes from. Well, can you tell us a little bit about the history of that? Morikang is actually is the original name of the island. And, um, okay. Loosely translated, it means land of noble lords. And, and I don't like using that term because um, it's a European translation. You know, mm-hmm. we didn't use lords. So mm-hmm. I know like socialism is utopia that would never exist. But mm-hmm. that was actually the only place in the world where everyone was equal. Mm-hmm. And there were no wars. They had no weapons. When they were attacked, all they had were fishing hooks. Mm-hmm. They didn't even know why they needed weapons. So it was basically the Ori Gang, as they translated loosely, land of noble lords, but it just meant land of honorable people. Mm-hmm. If, if you ask one of them. Right, right. Land of noble lords, right? Yeah, I, I just, I, I, yeah, I just feel in my own heart that they would never use the word lords. Right. It's, it's kind of like an overseer. Right, right, right. And a different person would not use the word lords. Right. And right. That, that was a society that was, um, they had chiefs, mm-hmm. but they held everyone in the community. It was, mm-hmm. it was a circle, and everyone was involved and everything was equal so there would be there was really no lordship they had a, a chief called the cacique and the cacique was there were men and women leaders it was there was not anything based on gender mm. they had um gay bisexual and mm. if you were bisexual you were basically exalted for that because you were special they would mm. call you a two-spirited a two-spirited person mm. so that's why i say i would use the word lord but if you really want the translation of it the way I see it, it's um, in African, a lot of new neo-African culture, you will use the word kings to describe everyone that is a descendant of Africa mm. to emphasize that we're all great, right? Mm. And I think that's kind of, even though that's also a, a sovereign type word. Right. So that's why I say Gang, the land of noble people. Mm. Mm. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Thank you, appreciate that. So I, I actually picked my poem, The Corner Victorian, because it, yes. it shares some of the similarities as yours because it talks about something that's home or that used to be a home, though not my home, and something also given... Yeah, yeah exactly, and, and also gender as a she. I also have seen a lot of history So I'm going to read that and we can talk about it. Okay. So again, it's called The Corner Victorian. Electric music pinballing in my head brings to mind the tall Victorian standing stately on the corner of a since-forgotten street. Eyes now dark, the biopics she must have seen, broken glass asterisks as if they are winks. Does she wonder, like me, why, if we're all made of stars, we can't survive in the sky in our naked vulnerability? All the stories she doesn't let flee, despite her missing front teeth, of those agape doors that promise to reveal all deeds. Children's distant laughter attempts from a past, fading now even from the memories of time. The duggerel types... The family must have compiled 
Do they flip through the collection as we swipe past virtual window panes? What of the celebrations lit by candles in a chorus? Do they bend with the wind in a choreographed sink? Or were they the more cacophonous type cackling some cliques while emitting howls from others who rocked the summer nights with mint juleps in hand? What porch pictures the running footsteps trace? The fallen bulbous cap of the stair railing post do they participate in a play so well worn and now gleams? And those dimpling steps that put up with stumping feet, do they carry dreams up to chambers for night's feet? That pot belly stove now lonely hosting an empty room, do they provide simply warmth or comfort meals too? My questions echo as I walk through this time machine. One day, I hope the waves of Kronos will convey the answers to me. Love it. Thank you. I love the anthropomorphic style. Like, you, like I said, you really gave life to that place. Mm-hmm. And two of my favorite lines were the um, stars and, and leave it or not was the doors from Missing Frontier. Mm-hmm. It just gave me a vision, just not just a vision, but a feeling of something that is no longer there yet still is. Right. You know, and, and that it left the peace of a lot of people's soul there. Mm. You know, I really felt that. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Yeah, it's it's sort of how I feel when I look at these old houses. It's a poem based on a real house, even though I've never been in the interior of that particular house. So some, right. a, a lot of these stanzas are cobbled together from my visits to other old houses. Yeah. yeah. You sound like my wife. Sorry? You sound like my wife. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she loves, loves anything. She loves old buildings, old facades, statues. Uh, and he thinks he just sees all this history and everything. Yeah, yeah, th- there is a lot. And I, I like I like looking at old houses because they're, they don't look like cookie-cutter houses. Right. They have these very distinct flavors to them, and they do feel like individuals. So it's, it's yes. very easy to anthropomize, anthropomize. I can't remember. Damn. <laughs> yeah, you know, going back to our faith, like you believe that um, uh, there is energy of the past in that house, in mm-hmm. every house. Yeah. You know, and everything that was ever touched by it, you know, so it's also, it was easy for me reading that to just get lost in yeah, yeah. Similar for me with your poem as well. It's this feeling of seeing a person like a mom, as you said, you know, as you portrayed her, a woman who's been through a lot, uh, who's survived a lot. And, you know, and similarly, this house has seen a lot, even though yeah. we don't, I guess we don't speak the same language. You know, we can't somehow... There's no way of getting the information out from one to the other. But it's, it's always 
interesting to wonder about these things, especially, you know, it kind of makes me think of all these horror movies that talk about old houses and how haunted they are, but they always talk about the very negative, uh, you know, aspects of it, right. right? They don't talk about the the happy yeah. ones, uh, happy yeah. memories. And you made it, like, sweet, like an old grand, like a hug from a grandmother, like, and, and, and <laughs> it, 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 I feel like when I first read it, that being a visual artist, I could see a painting you know, I can see a painting going with that poem, mm. uh, exactly as you visualize it, you know, and mm. you definitely, you know, take the reader there. Oh, good. I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad. It's hard, right? Because sometimes when, when we're writing a poem, we don't know how the readers will receive it and how they will relate to what we're saying, you know. Uh, okay our poems always take on a life of their own when other people read it. Right. And I used to translate a lot. And then I heard a, an interview with this poet named Willie Perdomo, mm-hmm. uh, Perdomo. And what he said was to not, um, to write the poem in the verbiage that you experience the, the feeling to write it. So if you write it in a, in a slang, let's say, Mm-hmm. Because at the time, that's what the spoke uh, in that moment. Mm-hmm. Don't change it. If yeah. you feel like you're drawing a Spanish or African word or something, don't change it. Mm-hmm. Let the person research, let them figure it out. And, and I love that because I always said, I don't like, I never, I don't always describe my poems because I used to love the fact that it could mean so many things to so many different people. Right, right. You know, I, I could write a poem that me meant, meant, some, meant one thing. But when somebody else reads it and likes it, they might have gotten a whole different story from it, you know? Yeah, yeah. The transmission between one one person to another, the meaning of things definitely changes. It take They take on a transformation based on receiver's personal experience. And in that, you know, our creations as artists, our creations really become somebody else's creation as well it's like a hybrid creation at right. that point yeah. yes i love that thank you i'm gonna steal that <laughs> <laughs> yeah send me the poem when you're done <laughs> i love to read it yeah yeah it's, i think I mean, that's, that's one of the things I really enjoy these about these conversations because, you know, you sort of look at how people write about the same thing or similar subjects, you know, something like a home, whether it's a country or a physical home, and how they convey that information differently, what characters they highlight, what they focus on, what details do they focus on, you know? Yes. Yeah. I think it's... Because of how I believe and things, I felt the immediate connection to it. So I really, you didn't go inside, and I'm gonna tell you that I felt like you did. Mm. So like, it, for me, the poem was so honest. It was so felt, so heartfelt that I, I imagined that you, you did go inside this, on uh, this house, and and knew more about it than just what you felt it would be. You know. Mm. Thank you. So like that, that, that was going to be my question, but 
answered it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, you said you never went. Oh, wow. And yeah. For somebody who's never been in, that was amazing. Yeah, unfortunately, I wasn't able to go into that particular house because it was it was fenced off. I, I hope it's being restored because of historical importance or whatnot. I don't really know much about the building, um, but I have, as I mentioned previously, I have been in other houses from similar time periods, and you know uh, there are a lot of abandoned houses. In different neighborhoods throughout the country, before the pandemic hit, and throughout the last few years, there's been a lot of revitalizations of certain neighborhoods. Some might call it a bad thing because of gentrification, because of of the fact that they tend to, you know,、uh, push out the neighbors who or the people who have been the residents who have been living there for a long time, and might no longer be able to、uh, afford. Being there now that the neighborhood is becoming spruced up, which is a very—it's a shame, right? Because they've invested the time and the energy into living in those neighborhoods. At the same time, I think one of the nice things about the process is to be able to restore these houses, having the investment to restore these houses. I just wish that both could take place at the same time to keep the people. Who've been there for such a long time, as well as restore the neighborhood to their former dignity in terms of just rescuing these these to me like works of art, because again,、yeah. um, people don't build houses like that anymore. Yeah, you know, it would be really nice. It's like a coffee table book with pictures of these houses with a poem next to it. Mm. I'm just seeing that right now. Like that would that would be so. Like that's something you can definitely do. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I had I had one experience in the Bronx once, and I went I think, and I wrote about it before. Where、um, it's actually in that book, but I went into this house that was we used to play in the in the in the abandoned buildings when I was a child.、Mm-hmm. And one house that we went into had an incredible experience in it, but the biggest. Thing about it that was awesome was inside the house somehow flowers growing out of the walls, purple. I never forget this purple and white flowers all over the house. Wow! And there was a piano there, a, a, a broken piano still in the house, also with flowers growing out of it. <laughs> and、um, wow! I wish you could have seen that. That was just amazing. Yeah, yeah.、Um, yeah. I get it. When I read your poem, you took me there. I mean,、mm. I maybe remembered my. Eight-year-old self going in that house.、Mm-hmm. When since you're a visual artist, you are able to, or you are capable of recreating that memory. I, that's that's yeah, yeah. yeah, that's something that I always wish I had the ability to do because, you know, I could see these pictures in my mind when you described it to me. I can sort of picture it, right? They're they're like flashes of images. At the same time, I don't know how to trans. Form those、uh, mental images into something like a painting or a drawing or even a sketch. So to me, it's even a, a, a photograph. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just it because it sounds. Yeah, it sounds really amazing because you know it's it's also goes back to related to your poem of how. 
resilient nature can be and land can be, you know, it, it will reclaim a house. And they always say, if a house is old, but it has good bones. And that would be a perfect title for your book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because the bones, the, the, the skeleton of this house has is the story behind it. You know? And that, the poems that you write, like, I would love to read more of your poems about these inanimate objects that you animate, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's funny because I also write a lot of activist poetry. Um, this is one of the non-activist ones that I write. And it was written, I participated for a few months in this improvisation poetry event where uh, musicians will come and play as somebody is writing. So it's as you're writing, they will play their musical interpretations of your words. So this poem nice. actually came from that. Nice. Yeah. And that's what I used to run an open mic in, in the Bronx, and we had a drum band behind us mm. that well, would play behind the poets. Oh, wow. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting to see the combination of the two different art forms and how people decide to interpret your words and how that kind of feeds back into your brain and form ideas or lead you to ideas. Like even in the beginning of this poem, I begin with the music because it was, it was the music that took yes. me to that memory. Like it says electric music pinballing in my head and I don't even know, I, I have no logical explanation as to why that particular music would bring me to this memory, which has no musical accompaniments, you know, it's not like a movie. So, and it's not even, I guess it could have been the beginning chords of some horror movie soundtrack. <laughs> Uh, abandoned houses has that association with them but you know it didn't it obviously didn't bring me to that dark place um so so it's it's really interesting Um, to see the i did feel a little sad like i felt like the house was like wanting like attention also as i read it because there was there were your words and there's the feeling where I'm looking at the. That's why I love the gate, the gate um, front. It felt like maybe uh, uh, with life, some if you were if you were making it to a human, like it was an older woman who was forgotten, you mm. know. And and that's how I got my life. Yeah, yeah. There there is a sense of uh, abandonment and sense of just solitude after sort of after the party is over solitude right beautiful yeah i really appreciate you taking the time to talk about our poems together and just in conclusion i was wondering now that we're all basically (laughs) living our lives electronically uh, (laughs) how do you do you have uh, any favor virtual events that you attend or you, you would recommend? And uh, how do people find you online? Well, yeah. So if you go on Facebook, we have a group 
page called Urban Beat Poet Society. And on there, we have been able to actually do a lot of feature events, They're able to even pay our poets thanks to poets and writers. And um, we've had uh, Peggy Robles Alvarado, we've had uh, Vanessa Chica and Tamara G. Saliva, two great authors, mm-hmm. three or Peggy also. Um, we have Thomas Mucoloro coming um, to do a one-on-one uh, past the mic where we go back and forth doing poems. Mm. And then we have um, a few who just bad for the... And then we also share um, prompts and things like that. So um, it would be Urban Beat Poet Society, and that's where they can find me and, and all the work we're doing. Okay, cool. How often do you do these? You know, we, we're going to do it like every... Two or three months, but we've been doing them every month. So that's great. Um, it's been fun. And the, the the crazy thing was we planned this before the pandemic. We planned to go virtual because we're from New York, and we wanted to marry to cities, Chicago or New York, mm. and and not lose touch with anybody. We actually to expand what we were doing with them, and it's been great. We've been had people from London. Oh, wonderful! Um, pop in, and so we're gonna continue doing that. For people who don't have Facebook, though, does the your information exist elsewhere for both the Urban yeah, Beat? And- um, they can find me on the www.lwrights.com. And I'm on Instagram. What is my Instagram? I'm on YouTube. I'm on. But actually, actually, you know what? If you go to the website, it has all my. All my um, handles there. Okay. So if they want to find the YouTube or, or the IG, which I do post videos of my work there. Great. So, um, yeah, that would be the best bet to go to the website. Great, great. And is the Urban Beats information on your website as well, or is there another website for Urban Beats? No, because we just started that um, maybe a few months ago, like May, like late April, May. Right. So, um, I haven't added that to my website yet, but no, that's only on Facebook. But okay. it's the only one out there, so it should be easy to find. Okay, okay. We've been doing most of our um, promotion through Facebook. Right. That's the large, the majority of our of our base is there. Right. So, um, and then as far as outside of that, I do my solo work on my website. Right, right. That makes sense. Okay, okay. Well, cool. Thank you very much again for your time and for this chat. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Be sure to check out the episode notes to get El Davi's social media information as well as more background on some of the topics that we touched on, such as the eugenics programs that were carried out in Puerto Rico. As always, you can follow us at poetsandmuses.com as well as on social media on Instagram and Twitter under Poets and Muses. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter either at poetsandmuses.com or at the upper right-hand side of the Poets and Muses SoundCloud page. Now, in addition to poetsandmuses.com and the SoundCloud page, you can also listen to the Poets and Muses podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts. I'm your host, Imogen A-Rate. I hope you have a safe and healthy week, and I look forward to bringing you another episode next Sunday.